This is At Your Cervix, the podcast. The podcast where pelvic health physiotherapist Emma Brockwell and Gwanya Donnelly talk to incredible guests who help lift the lid and bust the myth on all things pelvic health. At Your Cervix, the podcast is proud to be sponsored by Pelvic Relief. Founded by Eleanor Gardner, Pelvic Relief strives to offer quality products and information to help manage conditions such as pelvic pain, incontinence and painful sex. Informed by science and quality, they offer best-in-class products for pelvic health. Find out more by visiting www.pelvicrelief.co.uk and access 10% off using discount code ATYOURCERVIX10. Thank you for supporting At Your Cervix, the podcast. Hello and welcome back to Season 3, Episode 1 of At Your Service Podcast. Oh, so excited to be back. I'm Emma Brockwell and of course I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Gronia Donnelly. Hello. <laughs> I'm just so excited to be back. Hello. <laughs> um, well, I think we start uh, Season 3 with a rather lovely and rather special guest, Helen Ledwick. Uh, let me introduce you to her and then we'll, um, then we'll say hello. So Helen is the creator of Why Mums Don't Jump, which is a podcast about pelvic floor problems after childbirth. She's also a former BBC journalist and a mum of two with pelvic organ prolapse. She's passionate about smashing taboos and would like to see better support and information for every woman with incontinence, prolapse or pelvic pain. She lives in Manchester and enjoys walking in the hills, jogging in the park and tea and biscuits. Our kind of girl, I think. So welcome, Helen. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't get, I don't get asked very often. <laughs> oh, that has to change. <laughs> People are scared to ask you because you're oh, such a on. celeb. That's oh, what it is. That's hilarious. <laughs> Not. And we were just saying, um, so the first, I've actually met Helen in person. Um, and that was because I, you interviewed me for your amazing podcast, which was now pre-COVID a few years ago. And we were just saying how you came all the way from Manchester and I collected you from Oxford Station and I brought you back to my house. I know, which actually makes you a little bit mad because like, I hadn't even started the podcast at that point. So you were just taking a chance on this crazy woman from Manchester who was like, I'm going to make a podcast about public war problems. You were like, sure, I'll come and get you from the train station. <laughs> I no, love I had a that. Good vibe, a good vibe about it. And it was, it was chucking it down with rain. And the wow. really weird thing about it was, I think it was one of the first podcasts I'd I had ever been on. And there is no way that, you know, a few years ago, 2019, 2020, whenever it was, that I would have ever thought that I'd be interviewing you on a podcast. So yeah. um, I'm very excited and even more excited that Gronia finally gets to meet you as well, because I know she knows yeah. about you as well. I've been following you and your work, so I'm very, very excited to actually now semi meet you through the mediums <laughs> of technology and um, but it's very very exciting and it's a really important topic that we know a lot of our listeners will get a lot out of and um, both health professionals and the general public so we're super excited to dive right in I suppose what we would like to open up with is you telling us a little bit about why moms don't jump how it came about and what it is about so probably to take you back to 2015 when my son was born and he was my second child. Uh, I'd had uh, my daughter a couple of years before and she was breech. So I'd end up, ended up having an elective section. So I was determined that I was going to have this vaginal birth the second time around. I was going to, in quotation marks, do it properly this time around. And I did. I had a V-back with my son and it didn't go particularly well. Um I did end up with a third degree tear and uh, a couple of weeks later um, I had a prolapse and I had no idea what was happening. I just, that day I'd um, I sort of stood up having uh, lifted my toddler as she was then and uh, also having strained on the loo and I just had this bulge. I was like, it felt like a tampon was falling out and I I didn't know what it was. I ran upstairs. I didn't run. Obviously, I didn't run. I wasn't running at that point. Um, I was two weeks after delivering a baby and I had a third degree test, so I definitely didn't run. Um, I sat down on the carpet and um, I had a look. And honestly, I didn't know what I was looking at. I'd no, I don't think I'd ever looked at my own vulva before that point. Um, and so, and then, and then I just started, I, I, 
I'm actually quite embarrassed saying all this, but I know that this is the same experience that a lot of women have. I started Google imaging, like, what is this going on? Describing what I could see. And soon enough came across, I had pelvic organ prolapse. Um, and I was just like gobsmacked because I had never heard of this thing and uh, sort of quickly got across what it was and what it meant. And, uh, and that's really terrifying initially, that idea that your insides are falling out. Oh, I, I honestly, I really did nearly call an ambulance. Um, but I, um, I was still under the care of the midwife at the time and she, uh, I called her instead basically. And she got me in touch with the doctor and it's all sort of proceeded from there. But for the next couple of years, really, I just, um, I think I just had like quite a typical experience of this, of, of having this prolapse that no one ever talks about. And I had uh, a little bit of physio, which sort of helped me get started with a bit of um, pelvic floor exercises, that sort of thing. And then uh, I was just discharged as you are after a few sessions. Um, and then just sort of left to get on with it. And the thing was that all my information, well, I couldn't find any good information. It was just all over the place on the internet. I think it's actually a bit better now. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't know what to do with this thing, and it, um, it made me feel really broken, really like I'd, def I'd done something wrong. I shouldn't have had that feedback. Uh, I didn't prepare properly for birth. I felt really um, kind of ashamed that that had happened, and I just really struggled with it. And the, the, one of the things I struggled with the most was um, not being able to, or not feeling like I could be active anymore. Um, oh, I'm really surprised. I'm actually feeling a bit emotional because I've told this story so many times, and um, and I don't feel like, and I I don't feel like this now about myself. So that I think you know that's important to say later. But um, uh, yeah, I just I felt like I was not going to become, I was not going to get back to being the woman that I was before, and not just that, but I wouldn't be the mum that I would that I would have wanted to be for my children which was this, you know, vision of running around in the beach, on the beach and chasing after them on their scooters and lifting them up and throwing them around. And I felt like that had been taken away. So there's this kind of like grief for this body that is now broken because I thought I would never do those things again because all the advice that I could find was don't run, don't jump, don't lift, don't do anything because you'll make it worse. So I was terrified that if I, you know, lifted the shopping or whatever it was, everything had just fall out um and you just you become a bit of a shell because um you, you know I found myself saying to the kids oh well mummy can't do that because I'm not strong or I'm mm. I'm broken mummy's got a broken bottom I don't like it that's, oh, how, I know. that's how I explain it to them um and I'm, I'm like I'm, I hate that I'm talking to my kids in this way because that's not who I am and it's not who I want to be so anyway I've, I struggled a lot with it for a couple of years and then so you uh, felt like that for a few years then that, that yeah 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 it just kind of it just it was just sort of ever present it, obviously you get on with being a mum to these a baby and the toddler and um probably I'm not sure people around me would have, have realized how I felt about these things and I certainly they wouldn't have known really what was going on at all um but then I, I was coming up to um 40 uh, a couple of years ago and I was just like, right, I nearly just need to kind of take control of this situation and, and see if there's more that I can actually do to get myself in better shape and, and sort of find out a bit more about what was going on. So I sort of started down that route um, and I did um, holistic core restore for um, women postnatally and just started really gently and built up. And around the same time, I can't even remember like exactly why I started the Instagram account just with one little post, you know, got a prolapse, anyone else? Um, and then, straight um, in. Straight in. I, I, I don't why I chose Instagram. I don't like at the time it was all, um, you know, like beautiful meals and great clothes and holiday photos. I'm like, I was going to put a picture of a prolapse on there. <laughs> I did I did do it anonymously though at, at first. And then when people started responding um, oh, after a while, I was like, okay, I've got to really own this now. I'll put my because full name on there. Authentic life. And that's what people, and that's the beauty of it because social media is filled with so much lack of reality um unrealistic expectations in life so then suddenly when you put something that's so relatable because 
over half the population are relating to that idea of having a prolapse. So mm-hmm. there's people who want to hear that and they, not that they want other women to have prolapse, but they do want to hear that other women have these symptoms and they're not alone. Of course, that's, that's exactly it. You know, and I was, I was kind of, I got to the point where I was, I was angry that no one was talking about it because I knew that, you know, the figures were high and that a lot of women were struggling with that. And so why wasn't anyone talking about it? Um, and sure enough, like the, the comments started coming in and, and people were sharing their own experience. And it was just, it was just a relief to, to share those ideas and know that other people around were having the same feelings. And then after, I can't remember how long, after a while anyway, just that sort of feeling just sort of built a little bit. And I was like, well, why are we all hiding away on the internet and in these closed Facebook groups feeling really ashamed of this thing that happened to us you know it wasn't our fault but we feel like it is um and I felt like I was really struggling to find you know good information about how I could get back to being me and and be more active and and rehab a bit and if I couldn't find that information as a journalist and who else was struggling to find that so that's that's why I started the podcast really just to try and put some of that information out there and be a kind of a support network as well um, for people who who felt the same. So that that's kind of how it started. And then the pod, and then the podcast is basically a mix of women's experiences of pelvic floor problems and expert voices like yourselves who can give trusted advice to people on, you know, how to cope with it really. Yeah. I think that's what's so important isn't it with all all forms of pelvic floor dysfunction women women are really really keen to you know take charge of their own health and they're really happy to 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 knowledge seek but it's knowing where to go Um, and I know there's a big push now to make the NHS website really spot on really appealing and really evidence-based and and attractive to the user um and and it's okay the nhs website but it gives the real bare essentials doesn't it and mm-hmm. we do we do need more evidence based information out there because as you say once you start googling pelvic organ prolapse you go down such a rabbit hole mm-hmm. and it is frightening what you read i think all anything around pelvic floor dysfunctioning is very frightening what you read and um and that fear just doesn't empower anyone and it certainly doesn't signpost women to the the right care that's out there and I'm I'm interested because you had physio pretty early on in your journey then Mm -hmm. didn't you but it stopped simply because the NHS wasn't in a position to be able to offer you any more appointments or or had you why 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 did you kind of plateau if you like do you know that's a really interesting question I um so I think because I'd had the third degree tear there was an automatic referral where I ended up with a series of physio appointments and um it was it was you know it was probably over like maybe over a year or so after my son was born so I started about maybe about six months in and then carried on maybe for about six months something like that and I think I probably had maybe five sessions ish in total something like that and I um I was healing obviously all that time the tear takes quite a long time to, to heal and uh and I got quite good at my pelvic floor stuff so I think I got to kind of a level that was fine and I I, I think I just reached a level where I didn't qualify maybe anymore for for the help or whatever I I certainly I left I mean I was really grateful for it and I felt emotionally really supported as well which is you know you know is so isn't the other important aspect of that kind of treatment um when I left I just thought all right well this is as good as it's gonna get right I've done my physio I've reached this point I've been discharged that's it so that's when I sort of went away for the next couple of years and was like, okay, this is as good as it gets. Um, it didn't occur to me that there was more I could do to get stronger, to make, you know, even more improvement down the road. And I think this is one of the issues though with um, a lot of our health services, because even outside of pelvic health, 
rehab in general, like I do think of women following breast uh, surgery, so breast cancer surgeries and treatments, and they get their rehab and they're told not to lift heavy. And then they get discharged from thing, from services and 10 years later, they're still only lifting half a glass because no one ever gave them permission. to. Yeah. No one told them that after a while you're going to get stronger and that's going to be robust enough and you need to progress back. And I'm like, we need to be making sure people have access to the high quality information. And what I wanted to highlight when you were talking about resources, the POGP have recently updated their pelvic organ prolapse leaflet. And it's actually really good. Um, so I went and read it and there's a lot of information that's really up to date in it. So if anyone has um, or is worried about pelvic organ prolapse or wants to learn a bit more, we'll share those in the show notes along with any other links that Helen advises us about. Yeah, absolutely. So you went to your holistic core store trainer and did you start feeling a little bit better whilst you were working with her? And then she started to signpost you to the next stages or yeah. what happened there from your from your own personal journey? Yeah, so I um, I started with, a couple, like it was, I think it was like the post hysterectomy course. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't even like your standard postnatal course. It was the one before that. Right. I, because I think, because I was so frightened of movement I really didn't dare to do anything more than that. And um, I mean, I had been and tried a few exercise classes, but I was just always thinking, I don't think I should be doing this. I'm going to make it worse. I don't know how to modify these exercises. So I just wanted to really go back to scratch and, and know that I was kind of strengthening from there. So it was just a, it was a lot of um, pelvic floor work, some really gentle kind of stretching and things. And then once I'd done that course, I went on to the postnatal one and I did that one as well and by the time I got to the end of that I was just feeling more confident feeling stronger knowing that I could trust my body a little bit more um and then I saw and then I saw another physio as well around the time so this is like a couple of years after had, yeah. hang on like three like maybe yeah two about two years after something like that I saw out another physio and just all these things gradually I just started to understand a bit more that I could I could do more brilliant and and that's what's so important isn't it it's the education around prolapse as well um that once as you know as, as Gwen has highlighted with amazing leaflets um like that from the POGP once you understand what's going on that then reduces some of that fear that's been induced from all of the reading that isn't so effective mm-hmm. um and you then start I don't know almost believing in your body again um, because that's one of the biggest fear uh, things around prolapse is fear Mm -hmm. Um, and um, Gronje led on some research recently that we did around runners Mm -hmm. and um, one of the biggest um, reasons for women not returning to running um, postnatally was fear of movement fear of vaginal you know that feeling of vaginal heaviness as well and that lack of understanding and one of the things that that was highlighted in that paper was that we need to get better at educating women prenatally and postnatally around all forms of pelvic floor dysfunction so that then they can remain as active as 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 we want them to and as they want to Um, so it is it is about finding those really important educational resources Um, what what other ones have you come across in your in your vast uh research uh you know whilst carrying all your research out is it's so important isn't it um well yeah I think POGP is a good one to refer to is actually um it's Kate Loff isn't it that um did a lot of work around pessaries with POGP so right. she uh, she actually wrote a blog for me about that that I've got on my website um but I think I just I don't know I don't think there is that much out there it's getting better like your book obviously Emma a little plug from that one but I, I mean it's stuff like that isn't it why did no one tell me exactly no tell me? Mm. um but I it's really interesting and this comes up all the time about, and I I always hear this thing like oh we should be educating women when they're pregnant that these things can happen and and yeah I do think that is true but actually it's kind of too late at that point I agree like I'm absolutely convinced now that we should just be talking about this from a very young age I tell I tell my daughter all this she's gonna she knows everything already (laughs) that's good though it's teenagers like that's where we need to get them like it really is we shouldn't be getting to the point where we're like you know in our late 20s 30s whatever having kids and literally no idea what a pelvic floor is you know like what is that what is that for what what does it do 
you know, all this kind of whispering and you mm-hmm. might leak if you cough or sneeze. And that's just that. That's just how it is when you're a mum and all of that. If we, we if we knew more about our bodies to start with, I feel like we just wouldn't even get to that point. And then when we're pregnant, then we can have those conversations because we've already got the foundations. I totally agree. And even just to be hearing it first at that kind of transition into puberty hearing it several times along the way that then when it's mentioned again at pregnancy it becomes something that's like a public health message that you're hearing the way we hear about you know the importance of exercise and you know things to avoid obesity and it just becomes a public health message but it's also I think really important that this is being put out there even from a wider society point of view so that men or anyone who has a significant other or partner is going to be aware of this so that they can understand the impact of these things on their partner. Because that's another big area where people don't understand it or they might hear, you might tell someone that that you have prolapse, but because they don't physically see the struggles that you're having, like you said, most people wouldn't know because you just got on with it and you probably masked quite a lot. Um, And I think that's a really huge part of it too because it affects your whole quality of life. So we need to be making sure people understand that. I just think there's so many layers to it. There's the sort of the physical impact of these problems that, you know, whether it's leaking or whether it's prolapse and the symptoms that come with these things and they need to be addressed. But on top of that, the emotional layers of, you know, feeling broken and how, you know, like I said earlier, how that affects your family life and the things that you then don't do maybe as a mum, maybe you're standing on the sidelines in the park watching the dad play with the kids or whatever it is and and let's be honest like intimacy as well you know that's an issue that's going to affect the partner so it affects everyone around you and then as we've talked about then there's the layer of not wanting to get back to exercise and those sorts of things as well which is going to impact on your health throughout your whole life and it's and to me it's those sec two second one those two things which is really unnecessary okay the physical stuff we can work with that it's not always going to completely recover but the other stuff is just completely unnecessary because if we could talk about it if we could feel better about it if we could take away the shame that surrounds it and we could have a better understanding of it then that's that would just lift that weight so much and it just it wouldn't be as big an issue for people as it is it wouldn't be so damaging for everyone around them I was going to say, it's also the fact that when we're aware and we're worried and we're fearful of something, because that all those things you're describing are what it just, I just feel like this is what I hear day in, day out. And you sometimes think like, how can everyone, how are we still having people come in feeling so fearful about this? But it's also the fact that when you're fearful about something and you're worried about it and you've done the Dr. Google hunt and you've found, you, and you, then you've looked yourself and you didn't know what it looked like beforehand. So then you scared yourself to death because you don't know, is this, what is that? But you also then become a bit of a body zoner. So you check in with that area when you never checked in. When did you ever check in with your vagina before having babies? Where now you're kind of like, oh, I'm doing something here. I wonder, am I feeling, am I feeling anything down below? And like, mm-hmm. I know that even as a pelvic health physio, after any of my babies, I've been that person being hypervigilant, checking in. And not nothing that we have is imagined, but I'm definitely more aware of symptoms when I'm hypervigilant, if you know what yeah, I mean, versus when I just chill out and think because there's a lot like any of us who've had vaginal deliveries fun fact are going to have some degree of descent in front wall back wall or roof of vagina it's not meant to be in its prenatal form and women who have not had babies can also have pelvic organ prolapse and urinary leakage and things so I think once we even understand that it it normalizes to a degree where we're not overly fearful about it yes if we've something that's significantly impacting us and giving us symptoms we need to get treatment and rehab for it but it it's more empowering when we know that it's actually this is okay for this to happen a lot of women experience it they're all getting on with their lives I can exactly. too mm-hmm. that's exactly what it is you know and uh so I, I like remember you know going through this couple of years and uh sort of seeing other mums jog jog past or other women around my age I was just I used to love running before I had kids now, I've never been a serious runner but just you know I did a couple of 10ks I really really enjoyed it and I just felt like that was something that I would never do again I would never do that. I went to a, a spinning class and the um, the trainer had never heard of prolapse. So I didn't have any confidence that that would be okay. I definitely wasn't going anywhere near Zumba or I used to play netball. I was not going to do that. Like, 
I just felt like there were so many things taken away. And like you say, I was afraid, I was literally afraid that if I did these things, everything would fall out. That that's my that was my level of understanding. And then I would feel really, you know, I would really blame myself if I, if that happened. So yeah, just education around these things would just fix a lot of that. Then we just focus on just re rehabbing to our best the best of our ability the thing the physical things that have gone wrong absolutely so here's the big question have you gone back to running have you gone back to doing the exercise that you love to do and if so how yeah so I did so I did um I can't remember I don't think I hadn't done it when when we met a couple you hadn't because I think we touched on um we were talking about pessaries and we were talking about yes it definitely can happen and I think you were still a little unsure at that time but you were definitely definitely about to start embarking on exploring that option again yeah um so yeah so so what happened so I bet so I basically built it up over a period of time maybe maybe like a year or something so I started with the with the postnatal exercise that we talked about um and then uh I saw a physio and I was building it up and building it up and uh after she was sort of happy with what I was doing I did couch to 5k so just took it really gently um I was really nervous for the first run I you know I was I recorded a little bit for um for my Instagram page and I was sort of saying like I don't know I was just procrastinating I was like come on Helen get out for this run I was like I literally think I'm gonna get down the road and everything's gonna fall out uh, and of course it didn't and it was it was great and once I got to the end of that I was just hooked after that because it meant that I wasn't restricted in my life anymore uh, for this thing that I wanted to do that I couldn't I didn't feel like I didn't have that feeling anymore so my like mentally it was just like a great relief and I love now just going to the park a couple a couple of laps around the park I probably do I don't know probably not even 5k two three times a week uh, I get to listen to my podcast it's time away you know just time for yourself um and especially through lockdown that sort of helped to keep me sane so um and I don't and I and nothing for you know, my prolapse does not feel worse for it if anything I feel stronger for it oh I love that I think it's part of your identity that you've just taken back and I think that's the thing too yeah. because you very much spoke about I loved running beforehand and I used to play netball and all these things that were Helen if you know what I mean yeah, so then suddenly you get prolapse and you can't do this you can't do that it almost feels like you know I have to be a different person yeah. um so I love that fact that you've just went and reclaimed yourself back um, and I think that's a really empowering message for anyone listening today because that's exactly what someone listening to this podcast right now is waiting to hear they needed to hear this and now they're probably going to go and reapproach whatever journey they've had so far for prolapse and there's a lot of help out there it, you've talked about you know all the things that were worrying you about what would happen that you know your insides will fall out you'll make things worse now being able to reflect back and being someone who's back running regularly what message like what key things would you like to I suppose debunk about prolapse to anyone listening I I think the thing that I I hear a lot from so I'm really very privileged a lot of women get in touch with me and and tell me their their stories really talk to me about their journeys because they haven't had the opportunity to tell other people about it because it's so taboo and um one of the things that comes up quite a lot is they people people want to know like what grade they are what grade prolapse do I have what kind of prolapse do I have what are the specifics and and yeah getting the mirror out every day and having I walked upstairs today has that made it worse has this made it worse like you said kind of hyper vigilant about it and one of the things I've learned is that really just to go with the symptoms so it's how you feel about you know as you go through the days it doesn't matter what it looks like it doesn't matter what grade you've been told that you have it's literally focus on the symptoms rather than rather than uh yeah the, the specifics of what you've been told um what else would I say I, I guess talk to people about it like don't keep it hidden to yourself so another one of the strong messages that comes through from the women who listen is through hearing other women's stories we feel less alone and we feel more hopeful so just like if you think about it those two ideas it's massive that is gonna that is gonna do more for your mental health than anything just to lose that feeling of 
isolation and well negativity around yourself around your body around your future around what you can do and I think that is the power of of sharing stories when you hear other women talking about it 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 really lifts that burden for you so that's the other kind of advice I would have and as well obviously I mean I I am a great advocate of of physio now and there was probably a time because because I had initially had some sessions of physio and I was like well it's basically pelvic floor exercises once you can do a pelvic floor exercise maybe you don't need to do it anymore but now I understand that there's so much to it more to it than that and you know that has to be really bespoke to each each woman and I wish I really wish it was easier for women to see physiotherapists because again I hear all the time go through the NHS or whatever you just you can't get an appointment for love nor money so depending on where you are in the country um and it's really difficult and it, it puts people off doesn't it like you just end up suffering for no reason I always think that we have um like microscopic knee surgeries and procedures that are relatively routine and people know how to use their leg beforehand and are aware of that body part and naturally there'll be some element of normalized rehab that will naturally resolve back and there's scheduled automatic rehab and yet we have women getting pregnant birthing babies having significant birth trauma at times Mm -hmm. and just back to porridge on Monday back home looking after a toddler and you're just like it's mad when you actually think of the reality of it and you and you do need help as well and you need you really need ongoing help because I think, you know, I've got a bit, um, maybe a bit blase about it. It's hard to keep on top of your pelvic floor exercise, isn't it? And I thought, oh, I know what I'm doing now. I'm out running, <laughs> I'm doing all this stuff. I've kind of got it covered. And then I, uh, I did get to see a physio um, last week, um, Tracy Matthews. Nice. Uh, in London, I saw her about a pessary fitting. Which we oh, she's, woo! She's we, need to, we need to talk about that too. I will, I will. But um yeah, basically, she she clocked it, of course, that I have probably not been doing my pelvic floor exercises as well as I should be, you know. I was kind of cheating it a little bit because I was, because I got really, I was like, oh, well, you know, I think I'm in a good place now and I'll, I'll do them when I remember and I'll do them watching telly and sitting down and all that. And I think, you know, she's given me a little talking to about that. So it is that thing when you can't, you can't see this muscle that you're trying to train and it's... Uh, it's not it's not the easiest thing to do that's the biggest thing I think that's a really good point to bring up Helen because like as we often talk about before and we've probably said in other sessions other regions of the body where we understand how that area or joint or limb moves we may be needing rehab or being shown an exercise even just in a PT session like personal training session not to do with rehab but you see someone demonstrate and you're like oh yeah I know that I know that movement and then you go to repeat it and you do it wrong and they're like okay and that might be you looking in a mirror in an area of the body that you know how it moves or whatever and yet we expect women when they don't have a clue what the pelvic floor is what it looks like what a movement looks like what direction that looks like how they can validate that they're doing it it's just a really huge task that we're setting them up to fail with and the other point that was really interesting that you just highlighted was the fact that, you know, when you become complacent, well, actually, you will have more reconditioning needs. And it's the same thing of anyone who goes and gets kind of into personal training sessions and gets a bit fit and stronger. Once you stop that, if you can take a break from it, you you need to go back. You need to build up again. You lose some yeah. of that muscle conditioning. And the pelvic floor is no different to the same principles of these other muscle areas. Yeah, that's exactly it. You just you need someone there to check to check you're on the right track. Definitely. Well, Tracy is certainly someone that will do that. Um, but tell tell us a little more about your pessary experience because I loved your um, your recent Instagram posts together. Um, did was she, did you have a little film? I think you videoed. Um, obviously, not not the yeah. um, X rated version. Of, of, no. <laughs> and there was a little video of you visiting her. Um, are you are you a pessary convert? And if yeah, you're not. So- what, what you know tell, can you maybe tell people what they, even what they are maybe first of all that might be yeah fun. so I so I I so I did actually try pessaries uh quite early on in this journey yeah. I had uh, a ring pessary um and I just I tried a couple and finally found one that fit 
I never, never really noticed any difference. So yeah, so I mean, I'm probably not the right person to explain this, but basically, correct me if I'm wrong, these are sort of um, silicon devices that you put in your vagina and they basically help to hold things up or help to keep things in the right place so that you don't leak anymore if, if that's your issue. And you can use them for prolapse and you can use different ones for stress urine incontinence. Um, and they actually come in lots of shapes and sizes, but more often than not, you'll only ever see the ring because I think that's the cheapest one. So that's when you get the one you get given from the NHS. So that's the one I tried for a while. And I didn't really notice that it was um, giving me any, any benefit really. And I ended up, I, I struggled to take it in and out as well. Um, and so I ended up kind of just letting that one go. And then through doing the podcast and um, exploring the idea of, of pessaries more and becoming aware that the, there was this whole range of pessaries that could be used in different ways, I was really interested to try one again. So I um, got in touch with my GP a year ago to ask for a referral to the pessary clinic and months and months and months went by and uh, eventually then I did get a referral, but it was to the urogynecologist, which I didn't realise until the day that I got there. Um, and I'm not sure if that was a mistake or if that's just the pathway that you have to go on if you want to get a pessary in this area. Um, and then and then I did get a pessary appointment, but it was um, it was like the one week last week when I knew I was going to be away over Easter with the kids. So I couldn't take that appointment up. So I kind of went back to the back of the queue. And uh, Tracy Matthews sort of heard about this on Instagram and just really kindly invited me to go and see her. And I was in London last week anyway, so I went along um, to Boy, visit and she was, she was wonderful and she was so thorough. And she, like I say, she really did uh, an assessment in, you know, she took so much time out, really thorough assessment, told me things that I, I probably didn't even really know before about my pelvic floor and how I was, how I was trying to, um, what do you call it, brace it? No, contract brace. it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I came away with the cube is the upshot of all of this. Nice. This is a cube pessary. It's like literally looks like a large dice with sunken <laughs> sides. Um, and uh, so this is really frustrating. I, I let, so I went, she she fitted me with the, with the cube. She sent me out for a, a bracing walk. So I walked up the street, walked over the railway bridge, walked back and everything was fine. And then a, about an hour or two after I left, I started my period, didn't I? And uh, I was sort of like storming around London and it did, it did come out of place and I was feeling grotty because you do, don't you? Um, so that's only a few days ago. That's like five days ago. So I, I got in touch with Tracy and I explained and she was like, right, let's just, let's just hang off a few days and then we can try it again but you know with the reminder that I need to work on my pelvic floor function because that was this was a real learning for me in the last few weeks I didn't realize that you need good pelvic floor strength to to keep a pessary in I didn't that I didn't know that I just thought it was this thing that you put you put inside and then you're golden that's it like magic fix well maybe not quite a magic fix but um so, so yeah, that's where I'm at. So I don't, I can't say in all honesty, if it, if it's going to work for me or not, but I feel really optimistic about it. I feel it, it makes logical sense to me that this could be the thing because initially when I had it in, I did feel like I had that little bit more space, just felt a little bit lighter. Um, and you know, my, my prolapse, um, it's not, it's not dreadful. It is a, it is, it's a great, Two and front wall, um, and I and I don't. I'm not hugely symptomatic. I don't leak. I don't have pain, but I do feel the bulge. So for me, I'm hoping that the cube will just be a little bit of respite from the bulge, which makes me grumpy, and a little bit of protection for when I do run, so that I don't make it worse. And and as well, I think it'll it's good for accountability because if I if I'm going to wear the cube, if I want to wear the cube, then I do have to work on my pelvic floor strength so maybe the two hand in hand well and, and the fact that I put it all over Instagram now so if I don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> you've set yourself it. up people are going to be asking <laughs> but oh. I think that's that's a really good point about it and that's what's really disappointing for some women who have maybe been listening to this and tried maybe various shapes of pessaries and they've never um they've never been right or they just didn't feel comfortable or they slipped out or they always came out after a couple hours and it can be we all are a wee bit individual with our shapes and sizes and 
you know, vaginal deliveries and what shaping everything is afterwards. And that can be a bit frustrating. But usually, usually there's a pessary that will suit. There will be some shape of pessary and it can be a bit trial and error to find it. But usually there will be a pessary that's suitable for each and every one of us. So that's a really, um, that's a really, that's given hope to a lot of people there. Yeah, I hope so. And like, and it's not that you can't use pessaries when you're on your period, obviously, but I think maybe just you got maybe get get practice at it first and yeah, make sure it's all fine and everything. So I'm hopeful. We'll see. Oh, I think I, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of pessaries and, you know, they're often described, if you like, as an internal sports bra. And I think if, if, if we can try and normalise them in that sense, because they are quite daunting to look at, um, or some of them are, and they can be a bit off-putting, but, but I, I really believe the benefit of them, especially for your more active women who, you know, really desperately wants to do high impact but doesn't feel supported without the pessary I think they're I think they're an amazing adjunct and it would be nice to start seeing more research out there to see what preventative benefits they might have as well and also you know do they really help um stop prolapses worsening as we get older so that we can still do the things that we really want to do but but you've hit the nail on the head and in terms of you do need a strong pelvic floor and I think sometimes sometimes women get pinged straight over to a pet for a pessary referral when their pelvic floor isn't strong enough and then the pessary doesn't work it keeps falling out and then we've lost that woman to the, the use of a pessary she's lost the faith in that and actually it's probably because we haven't quite, you know, perhaps we haven't quite got the order right in how in how we're sometimes referring women over. And the big thing is they don't replace your pelvic floor exercises. That's the big thing. Um, and and so as you as you so rightly say, you have to continue doing your pelvic floor exercises to really gain the most benefit from from the pessary. But I'm excited for you because <laughs> I, I know how brilliant Tracy is. I send a lot of patients her way, and um, and and what one other thing I love about what she does is she doesn't just put the pessary in she gets you to get up go for a run or go for a walk and come back in again because I don't know about you Gronya but the amount of women I hear that say well the pessary was put in place whilst I was lying down and then I left the clinic and 10 minutes later it fell out and it's the wrong size and then oh my god you've got to go back through the whole system again yeah we have months I know it's It's ridiculous the other thing that's really maddening and I'm not sure if you come across some of the stories like this Helen is that I get a lot of women in and if I'm educating them about their options so maybe they don't need kind of like you they may be trying to strengthen up and um I suppose manage their symptoms but it's good at an early stage to let them know that you know what and don't worry if this doesn't work there's next stage options we can still try there's things like pessaries but a lot of them like oh are those those things that are just for old people that are put in I'm like no it's like they're not or they go and say that they went to their GP and their GP said you're too young for a pessary no you're not too young for a pessary Yes, I hear that all the time, and uh, and it's really sad, and 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 it makes me really angry, and that that, that is still happening. And I, women tell me I've been to the GP today, but I said I'm not old enough to have a pessary, uh, or they're only only for old ladies. In fact, just yesterday I got another message uh, from someone who said that she'd been told uh, that they don't work for um, stress urinary urinary incontinence; they're only for prolapse. That's not true either, is it? No, you're right. So much misinformation about it. And it's such a shame because yeah, it could it could really help a lot of women. So some women who like even if you don't have prolapse women will use them as you say for stress urinary incontinence just because you can get nice ones with a knob that support the bladder neck some women will have a component of prolapse and leaking so it'll serve both so there's so much opportunity and to be honest I often think that young women like this sort of like moms who are still wearing a family and active as Emma mentioned we're the prime population for these because we can manage them so we can learn how to put them in and out and that there's nothing more empowering than having control over a situation like not having to depend on a clinic to either refix or maneuver something if you just don't want feel your pessary today if you can't be bothered with it take mm-hmm. it out if you want to put it in another day, put it in. And I just love giving women that ownership. Um, so I think that there's a lot of progression work to be done. But as you mentioned, you got Kate writing a blog and there's been a lot of progress done in terms of the I suppose, scope of practice for physiotherapists uh, training in pessary. So hopefully over the course of the next five to 10 years, there's going to be a lot 
more access to these services. That would be amazing. And that's what you need, isn't it? You need you need you need every woman feeling comfortable and not squeamish about asking for one or using one. And you need every medical professional to to understand what these things are and what the benefits are. Um, and, and more medical and healthcare professionals trained up on the use of just more than one pessary because yes. the other reason you only get offered the ring pessary is because that's the only pessary they're trained to use right. so you know we really there's so much work to do and Kate in POGP is, is is really pushing forward with this which is really exciting but I do think physios are so well placed for this role um but but you know five or ten years it needs to happen it needs to happen now really um do you know one of my frustrations sorry Emma I didn't mean to cut you there but one of my frustrations as you're talking about it and I think it's really um appropriate Helen because you're talking about your experience of getting fitted with a cube and certainly when I did I don't fit pessaries myself but I did do some pessary training and I just didn't um I didn't continue on with doing it and I probably should have but the cube pessary is one of the ones that we inserted on the train and it was really useful and I liked it because it was it probably gave options to more people because it had that nice suction I remember what it felt like it was good um but I remember being at a continuing education event basically with some of our urogynecologists and they were talking about prolapse and they talked about pessaries at the end and they very much championed the ring pessary and that's the only thing really that's suitable particularly for younger women um, but it doesn't always stay in. So a couple of us were like, well, the cube pessaries work really well with this population. They're like a cube pessaries only for one population. And that's a very old woman who is not a surgical candidate. And it just gets put in there and left in there and nothing else happens. And I was like, no, no, we have women who take them in and out. And they're like, impossible. I'm like, no, what? this actually happens. And like, I was like, if this is something they're like, no, it's impossible. You can't teach a woman to take a cube pessary in and out. And I'm like, I've taken one in and out of myself, like you know what I mean. <laughs> it, it was so much easier to take in and out than the ring. You just yeah, break the seal, like yeah, I totally. So especially, so I used to use menstrual cups before I had kids. It's almost identical. Yeah. To that. So, and that's much more common that women use those now. Yeah. It's just much smaller than a ring. But it's the fact that that it, that's another element of misinformation, and that's misinformation that's passed down from someone who has a good intention, but that's probably yeah. what they were taught. And then that yeah. gets passed down to the doctors and medics under them. And this just continues. And the bit that really frustrates me is that when you're dealing with members of the public, if they're not informing themselves with information, they might hear a physio mention and about acute pessary, and that's a really good option when the ring pessary hasn't worked. But then they speak to someone like a urogynecologist who says they're just for old people, and they're like, you're a gynecologist, physio, the physio doesn't know. Do you know what I mean? You're like, yeah. no, and you've lost that patient to, to not managing their prolapse again. You're like, oh my goodness, there's options. Mm -hmm. It's maddening, which takes me nicely to my next question, actually. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Um, <laughs> and that is, although now I feel maybe I know the answer, but let's see. Within your community, Helen, since you've been doing uh, your podcast and your blogs, do women and do you think that the narrative is changing? Are we winning this battle or, or are we still very much in this hole where, where pelvic health is, is still very taboo and stigmatised? It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Because you, you, you end up in this um, echo chamber a little bit and you, you do wonder because, you know, through doing the podcast, I've met so many people like yourselves and I consume a lot of that social media, which is fantastic. You know, there are some great physios and stuff putting brilliant things out there. Uh, but sometimes you do wonder if it's really cutting through. But I do feel more optimistic about it. Uh, not least because so when I first started on Instagram I remember <laughs> so I, I searched for prolapse on Instagram which like doesn't probably don't do that actually because the, the pictures that, anyway whatever but there was nothing about women talking about pelvic organ prolapse anyway um, at that time but now there are there are more women sharing their stories about it and every time someone does that it helps to destigmatize it and it helps to make other people feel more comfortable with it and less alone and less taboo and the things we talked about so there's that um but I think um also you know the, the UK government's been putting more, more um NHS England isn't it it's put um, more money into pelvic health and like really made it a priority over the next few years so hopefully that's going to start feeding through there'll be more access to um, physiotherapists better education for people more support for women in pregnancy and and postnatally um so I feel like it's on the agenda there 
And then just more generally in, in women's health, more generally, you know, we're hearing more about so much about menopause, endometriosis. Uh, and I feel like the more and, and gynae cancers and the more we talk about, you know, these issues that only affect women and are traditionally taboo, then it kind of it busts that for, for all of it, doesn't it? And it helps us to, to just start addressing issues that haven't had enough attention, have been sidelined over the years ones that only affect women in, in particular um so yeah so I do I do feel I do feel like the tide's turning a little bit and I you do read a lot I feel like I've seen more articles in the newspapers and yeah I just yeah. do feel like there's more awareness I agree because funny actually when we thinking about this was it recent enough that Elaine what was the tagline that came out after Elaine Miller, a physiotherapist who she was she on the TV or something that was something about something over breakfast or something, yeah. something she used it as a positive, like, well, at least they're getting people talking oh. about it, but it was kind of a bit of a negative Lorraine Kelly. It must've been Lorraine was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Elaine, yeah. Elaine, Elaine was on Lorraine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, that's a talk yeah. of <laughs> And some, and then on social media afterwards, someone had said that it, Lorraine Kelly doing a pelvic floor exercise had put him off his cocoa pops. That's what that. it was, and it yeah. was like, oh my goodness, really, guys, yeah. come on! Yeah. But at the same point, Elaine was probably right in that. Look, it's a headline that's going to get people nosing into it, so it is getting people aware of it. But you're just like, as you say, there's elements of things where we're seeing more articles, and it's becoming more mainstream that they include a women's health focus and things, and that's great. But then you get we taste of things. You're like, really, are we still there? Like, come on! Yeah. And and it's like, I still think we've more work to do. But I really am thankful for people like you who have actually stepped out of your comfort zone because that's not easy. It's actually easier probably to hide it and mask and suffer in silence. And what you have done talking about something that's quite personal if you know what I mean like it's a bit of a vulnerability to put yourself out there and talk about your personal experience and feelings and journey but that helps so many people I find that it's the personal experiences that really get the knowledge translation through because people want to listen to you um they maybe aren't as interested to listen to something that's very um scientifically evident you know what I mean like they listen to a real story and they relate to it and they take the information from it Mm -hmm. and that's what's really special so I suppose from a professional point of view, I'm so delighted to see the work that you're doing and the impact you're making. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it is. It it really is hard to talk to talk about, like, or it was, you know. But what I would say is that once once you get past that, it it, it helps enormously. Just sharing that, you don't. It just takes away the shame of it, really. And I and I'm really the last person who would ever talk about it anything remotely private or intimate which That's sounds so ridiculous. funny are you serious oh like, are my you... gosh I, like, I couldn't the first episode that I did I went around to my best friend's house to record it because I knew that I needed to talk to someone who who I knew and who I trusted and I can't I, I couldn't even say vagina or vulva I got like I, I just I couldn't even say the words and when, and when I did I just went bright red it's just so stupid like it feels I feel so childlike saying that now it just feels so very common thing to for, for women I hear that all the time in clinic yeah. but that comes back to that whole education at school yeah. teaching kids what society yes. and I also think it's society and like our upbringings and I also think like a lot of like we're brought up not to speak nearly you don't speak about that area you know it's very yeah. even if we think of religious upbringings and things it comes a lot of stuff stems from that where we're nearly like you don't speak about that and that's inappropriate and and I think that there's a whole reframing that has to go on it is getting better in that context and that's where like Emma and I have discussed before and we've had um, guests on talking about even like sex education for kids and things mm -hmm. and how important it is to be factual with them and be honest about the names of things and not make up like I suppose uh, decoy names yeah. like because people should know what a body part is called it's a body part it's not oh, something you know what I mean so that's a real reality check for me where I was like oh yeah why wouldn't I just call it what it's called no absolutely it's like it's kind of it just seems ridiculous to me now that I, that I felt so strongly that way um and yeah, as I say, my, my children absolutely know the right, <laughs> the right words for their body parts because that's all it is. And they don't even, it doesn't, they don't even bat an eyelid, do they? It's like, I that's love that. Would you, 
would you change it all now now that you've molded almost your your career around around your prolapse <laughs> if you like would you would you need it perhaps it's too tricky a question to, to answer but I don't know I mean yeah I don't know not qu- not quite a career it's still a it's still a passion project really <laughs> but, it, but it is a passion project and you know I, I, I do feel grateful that it has it's, it's given me a passion yeah. you know I am I'm so focused on like this thing that exploded into my world this thing I've never heard about before and that I have been able to get a message across and have this amazing response because I knew that if I felt like this there were other women out there who did and I read that every day in the messages that come through and that's what makes it okay for me to put myself out there and talk about my most intimate and personal things even though I know that my colleagues might read it my friends might read it you know whoever my ex-boyfriend might read it whoever the response that I get like legitimizes that for me and makes it all massively worthwhile um would I do like would I change having a prolapse yes I would not have a prolapse (laughs) but um but then, yeah, but then all of this wouldn't ha- wouldn't have happened. And it's that, you know, one door closes, another one opens. And uh, and I'm in like, an, I'm in a great place with it now. You know, I don't, I can't think about myself two, three years ago, kind of feeling like in quite a dark place, just aware of this prolapse all the time. Like you say, hypervigilant about it, just this constant present that was, presence that was making me feel really sad um and I just I'm, it doesn't it doesn't do that anymore it doesn't stop me living my life I don't obsess about it it's just it's just part of who I am now but I do everything that I want to do oh I love it <laughs> you're so inspiring and oh. you know you, you underplay the point why mums don't jump podcast I mean it's, it's an award-winning podcast as well we should add um so it's, it's award nominated but I'll take it nominated well, let's go with that we'll take should that have been, should have been award winning um but it, you underplay it and it's 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 incredible what you've done for every woman out there who listens to it but but the pelvic health community as well so thank you thank you very much for for doing it don't stop doing it because yeah. we're doing it. um we try and close the podcast episode like when we remember (laughs) by asking our guests for a few tips so what I'd love is to know if you have maybe two three tips um that you could offer women who have just like you found out they've had they have a prolapse what 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 might you suggest they do uh definitely take a breath you know don't don't panic like I did don't necessarily call an ambulance unless it's an emergency (laughs) um uh seek out professional support you know don't think that you can do the physical side of things necessarily by yourself so that can be a long journey but just start the ball rolling and read what you can and advocate for yourself in that way and then yeah just mentally just tell someone (laughs) like don't have to start a podcast you don't have to, don't have to tell the whole world but just to sh- share what's going on in, in your head you know and just help yourself to lift that burden because you are definitely not alone and there definitely is hope and you can get to a better a better place it doesn't have to always be like this or or worse um so I mean there's, yeah there's there's loads of, and what I was saying before about you know focus on listening to your body and your symptoms and not yeah. a diagnosis that you might or might have had at any particular point because I mean my prolapse changes throughout my cycle some some days it's quite bad some days it's hardly there at all um now I'm just rambling but there's a lot yeah there's loads of things you can do just just can't be calm you know stay calm listen to other women's stories and share your own and find the support that you need love it perfect well you're going to hear quite a bit more about why mums don't jump throughout this season because we love it so much it's going to be (laughs) Helen's voice is going to be popping up on every episode um but we really really do highly recommend the podcast to everyone out there 
thank you, Helen, for your time. And uh, thank you for all the work you do. And we look forward to catching up with you soon and hearing how successful your pessary was. Um, <laughs> so we'll all be following you on Instagram. And of course, we'll put all of the links um, to your work on our show notes. Thanks, Helen, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So good. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. We always love to hear your feedback and any questions you might have. So please do contact us via Instagram at your cervix underscore the podcast or Twitter at your cervix underscore PM. And don't forget to check out our wonderful sponsor, Pelvic Relief. You can find them at www.pelvicrelief.co.uk. Gronya and I really look forward to catching up with you next week.